welcome to my kitchen. My name is Tepan Medisana. I hold a WACT Level 2 certificate and Advanced Brandy certificate from the Cape Wine Academy. In 2016, I was awarded the Veritas Young Wine Writer of the Year Award. I've written for many, many publications and edited one or two in my time. I hold an interest in many topics and many things, including construction, if you can imagine. So I hope that you'll be able to pull up a seat, come into my kitchen and enjoy endless hours of not only food and wine, but many of the other delectable topics that keep us engaged. We look forward to hosting you soon. This week's episode of In My Kitchen was inspired by DJ Somebody and Kaspanio Vest's Monadempolae, in which they sing Lestris More Champagne. As we chronicle the history between art and champagne and how they inspire each other, please sit back, relax and enjoy. Drink responsibly. Welcome back to In My Kitchen. In this week's episode, I will bring the wine and thereafter we're going to make it pop. We speak about a book, a show, a film a pop of pop culture and finally the dish where we speak about someone or something delectable that's made the world a sweeter place this week's episode of our bring the wine is one about one of the world's favorite categories champagne last year i mean ganem winemaker at Moe's in shandong came to visit us at the palazzo in johannesburg where he spoke about the history and heritage of moet alongside um Tokhosan's head sommelier, Miguel Chan. Um, in August, Amin Instagrammed about the 2020 harvest. He said that the 2020 harvest crew is ready to craft a fabulous August vintage. And so we wait in delightful anticipation. And while we do so, we're encouraged to do so at Tokhosan establishment because Champagne Day is a month-long celebration at Tokhosan. So you can either visit the palazzo where you'll enjoy a lovely little pastry alongside your champagne, darling. Or you can enjoy a Verve or Graham Beck MCC at really great prices. 10 out of 10, highly recommend. Visit Tsukhosan this month. I'll be um, doing so at home because I got a little Moet mini from them. But as soon as possible, um, I think definitely the Santon Sun with those gorgeous views of the city. Um, it's a must. It's a must, darling. <laughs> so um, I had the great fortune of visiting Champagne Lanson um, two years ago with my sisters. But before I did that, um, the good people at Lanson came to Johannesburg. So at Great Domains in Melrose, um, Emmanuel... Gantet from Champagne Lanson started the day with a fabulous champagne tasting. He said, I think it's a good start to the day with a pop of a champagne cork. It's not a bad thing at the end. So I'm going to yes, start my day with a little bit of a pop so that we can have this fabulous conversation about, I think, one of the world's favorite things whether you're a hip-hop artist a hollywood movie star or just a girl in joburg nothing makes the day cheers better <laughs> and a little champagne so champagne lanson has been in existence for more than 250 years and they say that it's been the perfect start since 1760 um if you'll know champagne lanson you'll know that they um 
sponsor Wimbledon. So that's also why it's the perfect serve. <laughs> so since 1760, they have crafted their champagnes using the traditional method, favoring wines without malolactic fermentation, thus preserving greater freshness and the original purity of the fruit, according to Elvé Dantin, winemaker at Lanson. Around the world, champagne conveys the idea of luxury, celebration, excellence, exclusivity, produced in the French region using the same name, champagne, a magical terroir steeped in a long winemaking tradition. Champagne is a complex wine. So um, Tom Stevenson, um, a wine writer and champagne expert, described non-malolactic as the style of the future. Um, and in re- I think we spoke about like, malolactic fermentation before, but I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of that today. I think today I want to speak about the history of champagne. I want to describe, I think, the same way that we did MCC the other day, the categories sec, demi-sec, dry, brut, all that. And then I want to take you through the champagne lands and tasting, um, which is so gorgeous. So um, the origins of the champagne appellation lie in the mystical history history of the region. So Champagne Lansom is located in Ram in France. If you ever go, please tell me, um, but if you do ever go, um, we were staying in Paris um, and we took a train to Champagne. <laughs> I cracked myself up. So we took a, sh- a train to Champagne. So we started, everybody said you can do it, it's very easy. Um, not so easy, there was a strike at the time, I think it was 2018. Um, there was the train strike, but um, the night before we left, um, I asked someone on the train which is the best train to take, and um, it actually proved to be pretty simple. So we arrived in Epinay, and then we took a taxi from Epinay to directly to Lanson, uh, where we got a guided tour of the cellars and um, and then a private tasting. It was exquisite. So um, I'll take you through the cellar in just a moment but right at the bottom of the cellar um, they have um, the epitaph of the virgin and it's because during um, one of the earlier war war times um, the Ram region is basically flattened so if you ever go there you might be surprised like I was I thought I was going to this gorgeous old world wine country but it's actually a very modern town it's actually a university town so apparently it was flattened during the war by bombs and all that and, and a lot of the people in the town um, hidden the cellars, you know, as underground bomb shelters where um, I'm pretty sure they drank <laughs> a great deal of champagne to wash away the, the horror of war, sadly. But that's, you know, the reason that the Virgin is there because um, I think that they were praying and, and, you know, fortunately the champagne house still exists. For, so it's had a very colorful history from 1760. So between 898 and 1825, the kings of France were crowned in Rome heart of the Champagne region. So the ingenuity of the region's people who chose to master the art of effervescence still lives on today. Um, Champagne was a land of wine long before the invention of sparkling wine. The first vineyards which existed long before Roman times are an integral part of the region's history. Under the rising influence of the church, a clerical nationalization movement and it's that enabled the monastic orders to acquire extensive vineyards. So if you ever go to Lanson or if you ever go to Great Domains, you might want to pick up the little black book of champagne, which is where a lot of the, um, the stories and the mystique that I'm going to be sharing with you today comes from. So champagne wine flowed freely at local festivities. Um, so basically what they're trying to say is that in the cool region, it is a cool climate region um, in Rome, 
The black grapes produced a vin gris with a delicate acidic flavour. Envious of the four-bodied red wines of the Burgundy region, the vintner monks worked hard to overcome the difficult weather conditions and create a wine fit for a king. Their efforts came to fruition at the end of the 17th century and led to the creation of the first sparkling white wines. The foam took form when there was still enough sugar present in the wine in the spring to naturally produce a second fermentation. And I think a lot of us know that story of Dom Perignon, who was uh, a monk who was alleged to have famously said, come quickly, I untested moustache to his fellow monks, when he discovered that the second fermentation produced a delightful bubble. And so for the first time, a sparkling wine was associated with a particular territory, the Champagne region. And this was also the first time that specific vinification techniques were developed. Um, And we know that Champagne is... Um, associated with war because Napoleon is famous to said I could not live with champagne in victory I deserve it in defeat I need it same verbs <laughs> so preceded by its excellent reputation champagne soon conquered the heart of the world's nobility from the French monarchs to the Tsars of Russia from Napoleon to Winston Churchill Champagne was become was to become the nectar of the elites today of course we know um, no hip-hop video can even happen without a bottle of champagne. We know that Winston Churchill famously said um, to rouse the troops. Remember, gentlemen, it's not just France we're fighting for, it's champagne. Uh, we know that our girl B, Bon Bizzle, even famously said champagne, darling, in times of trouble and in times of celebration. I remember one of my favorite episodes of Being Bonang. Um, Being Bonang is a reality television show about a South African television uh, and media personality as well as businesswoman Bonang Mateba has since just, um, developed um, her own MCC brand. Um, and so her and her cousin Pinky Girl got invited, I guess, to the South African Style Awards where they were given a bottle of Verve Cliquot. Um, and it was hot. And I remember it was so hilarious because Bonang and Pinky are like, champagne, it's just like, which basically means we're going to drink this hot champagne because it was just like, it's time. We have things to celebrate. We don't have time to wait for this wine to cool. What an era. So blending of champagne was done naturally by the monks. They pressed a combination of different grape varieties from different parcels delivered by the wine growers in payment of their tithes. Some monastery sellers, such as the renowned Dom Perignon of Audevilliers Abbey turned blending into a precise science. They selected grapes of different origins to give their wines better balance. And later the champagne houses blended wines from different varieties, vineyards and even years to take advantage of the diversity of the champagne terroir and obtain a result superior to the sum of each wine's qualities. Blending enabled them to create more harmonious wines and above all to produce distinctive wines with consistent flavour and quality, which was revolutionary at the time. When the vac- vagaries of nature were very pronounced. The myth of champagne was to take off with the mastery of effervescence. Until the 19th century, the process of creating bubbles during champagne's second fermentation was unreliable. Often the foam did not form due to a lack of sugar. Even more often, the bottles exploded during the foam formation process. It took nearly a century and the efforts of numerous producers to develop specific techniques using natural cork stoppers held in place with flux cords and later steel wire Selecting the strongest bottles, adding sugar to wine already in the bottle, using cellars with a stable temperature to improve wine conservation and removing the sediment using the degorging technique. 
the champagne method was born and the annual production of champagne grew from 300,000 to 20 million bottles by 1850. Over the years, champagne was hit by several historic and economic crises, including the two world wars of the 20th century and the Great Depression of the 1930s. The region's people rebuilt, as I said to you, aware of the need to protect their collective heritage. The boundaries of the terroir were delimited by law and practices were codified. Then in 1936, the recognition of the Champagne AOC, I'm not going to embarrass myself, protected designation of origin, crowned a process that had taken several centuries. Despite the harsh blows affecting sales and production, Champagne underwent a remarkable rebirth in the 1950s. The luxury drink par excellence, Champagne is no longer reserved for the small elite and for the first time in its history is available to all connoisseurs. So one thing that I find very interesting is that Champagne really is fit for a queen. There are over 300 houses of Champagne and only eight have the royal seal of approval. Champagne Lanson received its seal from Queen Victoria in 1900 according to Emmanuel Gantet who um, spoke to us at Great Domains. Um, in Africa, it's pretty interesting to know that Nigeria is currently Africa's largest market for champagne. South Africa is the second largest. And he says that um, he feels that South Africa has great potential because of the large number of wine lovers. True. So he's the export manager at Champagne Lanson, um, Emmanuel Gantet. Um, he also, as I told you earlier, told us that the official champagne for Wimbledon, um, Queen Victoria might be pleased to know, is Lanson, Black Label Brut Non-Vintage, which is comprised of 50% Pinot Noir, 35% Chardonnay, 15% Petit Mignon. Um, and it does taste like winning. It really does. <laughs> so Paul Goof famously said Champagne places life on the level of dreams. And I guess whether you're at Wimbledon or you're a queen of England or you're a girl in Joburg drinking Champagne at Chassang, it is a dream. So the best-selling Champagne Rosé um, in the UK is actually Champagne Lanson Rosé Label Brut Non-Vintage. It's a fabulous salmon colour um, with a silky mouthfeel and it feels like romance. Champagne Lanson Gold Label uh, Vintage Brut 2008 is so sexy. Um, it's structured and dreamy. Um, in South Africa and in the US, a third of the Champagne category is apparently dominated by the Demi-Sec category. Champagne Lanson um, Ivory Label Demi-Sec is roughly 33 grams of sugar, um, which just gives it a slight sweet touch. Um, so you're encouraged to throw in a couple of sprigs of mint and ice so that it can be your perfect start. So um, Champagne um, and the Arts has a long history. Voltaire is alleged to have said the sparkling foam of this fresh wine is the brilliant image of our French people. Um, and we know that Coco Chanel is also alleged to have said, I only drink champagne on two occasions, when I'm in love and when I'm not girl. So, <laughs> Pasteur also said that a meal without champagne is like a day without sunshine. Girl, same. Champagne is a favorite drink. Oh, what did uh, Notorious B.I.G. say? Birthdays were the worst days. Now we drink champagne when we're thirsty. Champagne throughout its history has been the muse for many artists. Champagne is also to have said, alleged to have said that it elevated the spirit. Beethoven wrote a symphony in its honor. Wagner declared that it revived his taste for life. There's no character without champagne. Champagne wines are entirely produced, harvested and crafted in France in the exclusive Champagne region, mainly concentrated in Rome and Epinay. As I said, if you ever take that train, I would actually, um, I think next time I go, fingers crossed, <laughs> uh, 
I think I want to actually stay in Ram or Epine. I loved Ram. Um, so my sisters and I, after we did our, I'll take you through our tasting just now, but just after we did the tour and the tasting, um, Louise, um, the lady at um, Champagne Lansing, um, encouraged us to go down to Henry's. So her friend had a coffee shop in Ram. Um, it was in one of the most stylish tri- districts, you know, close to a Lafayette. We um, took the wrong train, <laughs> but we took the tram and the train. It was gorgeous, and it's actually like a very easy to walk town. Unfortunately, we were in flat walking shoes. We spent the entire day in the French sunshine. Um, and the funny thing is, even at the train station, um, two guys were playing a vuvuzela. So you can't escape that thing. You know, <laughs> champagne, it's pop, pop, pop. Maybe the vuvuzela will have some quotes about it in a little black book one day. But uh, we went down to Henry's after having this gorgeous champagne tasting. Had a pastry, a cup of coffee. Everything was pink and pretty. It, it, it did feel like, you know, we were in a gorgeous French place. And so um, the grapes in Ramen Epinay that are used to produce champagne wines have characteristics that are unique in the world and are the result of specific geographical locations, soil and climate. It is one of the most strictly controlled wine regions in the world. You can't freestyle like I'm doing, <laughs> you can't, they don't want to hear pop, 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 <laughs> this is when we are harvesting as a people, like I said, you know, I was looking at Amin's Instagram, there's a date for harvesting when they will allow it, there is a, um, there are grapes that they will allow to be harvested, certain bulling of sugar, like they, they, are, they don't play around in champagne, they, it is a, a known around the world for its quality, and um, whether you're a grower, or a family, or a big brand, Everybody has to play by the rules in order to get that AOC. Okay, honey, that designation, Champagne. So Champagne Lanson is located um, around, located roughly 150 kilometers east of Paris. So as I said, it's about an hour and a half train ride. The Champagne Terroir covers some 34,000 hectares um, or 84,000 acres and includes 320 different crews and five departments. Champagne's hillsides, houses and cellars were designated at a UNESCO World Heritage Site since 2015. Fun fact. <laughs> its northern geographical position, its harsh weather conditions, the particularities of the subsoil and the hillside topography make Champagne a totally original terroir that gives its wines their inimitable distinctiveness. The Champagne vineyards are divided into four main regions. So you get number one, La Montagne de Rang, to the north of Epinay, essentially planted with Pinot Noir. Then you get Le Quote de Blanc, number two, which is located in the south of Epinay, exclusively planted with Chardonnay. And then you get number three, La Vallée de Marne, mainly producing Pinot Meunier. And then you get number four, La Côte de Bas, where Pinot Noir is predominant. They're in play. <laughs> Champagne um, varieties are comprised basically of three grapes. So Pinot Noir makes up 38% of the planted vineyards. Um, Pinot Noir is a black grape, um, or grape with black skin and white flesh. It brings body and intensity to the wine with aromas of red fruit. Chardonnay occupies 30% of the vineyards with white skin and flesh. It gives its wines its, it gives wines its finesse and elegance with delicate aromas, often floral and citrus notes, and sometimes mineral hints. Pinot Mignot accounts for 32% of the surface area, a grape with black skin and white flesh. It provides body and gives supple, fruity wines that develop more quickly over time. Champagne Lanson wines have always blended a majority of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay to achieve a fresh and perfect balance between body and finesse. <laughs> okay, now we speak Cru, Grand Cru, ah, which is basically the different types of soil. So let's have a sip. 
delicious. So the classification system assesses vineyards village by village using the method known as the échelle de cru. Only 17 Grand Cru villages have the maximum score of 100% and 42 Premier Cru villages are between 90 and 99%. How's my French, guys? Am I doing okay? I think I gotta go back to France. <laughs> Most villages have a score between 80 and 89%. So those Grand Cru and Premier Cru are really the top tier. According to Hervé Danton, winemaker Lanson, Lanson has always selected high quality grapes for its blend. 50% of which come from Grand Cru and Premier Cru. Rich, expensive catology. <laughs> climate, soil, and topography. The climate of Champagne is unique and it's to its dual climate influences. It is both oceanic and continental. The Champagne Terroir also stands out for its soil and subsoil, which is made up of chalk and provides the vines with a good irrigation. The hillside topography of the Champagne region provides free-flowing water while ensuring good exposure to the sun. So all champagnes are crafted using the method Champenois or the Champagne method. This process requires patience and know-how. So it begins with the harvest, usually 100 days after flowering. Thereafter, it is pressed. Once harvested, the grapes are taken to the press houses where they are pressed. The House of Lanson is four, located in the heart of the vineyards at Dizay, Trapel, Verzenay and Loche de Sauor. Help me with this French. <laughs> then uh, there's a first and second fermentation, which is so exciting. So pressing the grape juice called a must. Yeah, those that juice is taken to the fermenting room to ferment. Each crew is vinified separately. It's fabulous. If you ever go to Lansing and you ever walk the um, fermentation cellar, they have these huge steel tanks. Um, huge, because each crew, as I said, um is vinified separately what does that mean it means like like each little vineyard from each little vintage is honestly vinified separately and they've got the name of each little um, village on it and it is just so romantic to be in there because it just talks of because it's like hundreds of years of history so all the families that have worked um each you know every year send their specific wine which is vinified separately the first champagne wine fermentation is the alcoholic fermentation that transforms that must into wine. Then the yeasts consume the sugar and produce alcohol and carbon dioxide along with other components that build the wine's sensory characteristics. This fermentation takes place right after pressing, usually in stainless steel tanks and more rarely in barrels. The second fermentation called malolactic fermentation transforms the malic acid into lactic acid. It takes place after the alcoholic fermentation and like all other fermentations it changes the wine's aromas it is not mandatory the house of lanson unlike most other champagne houses prefers to avoid it to preserve the grapes freshness floral and fruity aromas after this blending takes place which is where those many many steel tanks come together the art of blending champagne works with nature's diversity the diversity of the crews vintages and years Blending champagne involves combining wines with different aromatic qualities. When he starts blending, uh, Lanson winemaker Alvé Danson has complete palette at his disposal. It is up to him to imagine the finest complementary um, between the components. Thereafter, tirage and foam fermentation takes place, um, where the wine is filtered, and tirage corresponds to the bottling procedure, which cannot happen before the 1st of January following the harvest. The third fermentation, also known as the foam fermentation, is what makes the wine fizzy. 
To achieve this fermentation, Tillage Le Creole is added to the wine made up of sugar and natural fermenting agents. After filling the bottles are sealed with metal caps and the champagne bottle, which must be glass, meets strict specifications because it must ensure resistance to high pressure and match handling. The bottles are then taken down to the cellars where they are laid out on laths, which is stacked horizontally row by row. And this is what I was saying. If you go through the cellar, there's hundreds of bottles because it's like many, many years of vintages. And if you're very lucky, they'll take you past the, the cages where um, they've got literally some of their first vintages and vintages over the decades. It is just like a library. And during the third fermentation, which lasts 68 weeks, weeks the yeast consume the sugar and which release alcohol and carbon dioxide into the wine this is the still wine transformation into champagne aging on the lease takes place after that where the bottles are kept away from the light in the cellars for a period of aging the cellars play a major role in this important stage of winemaking thanks to their relatively constant temperature it is cold down there take a jacket <laughs> which is around 12 degrees thereafter riddling take place we know that the famous madame Crico was partly responsible for riddling where the bottles are transferred to wooden stands or racks where they are riddled a technique consisting of gradually shifting them from the horizontal position to heads down um, if you ever go to JC LaRue in Stellenbosch you'll be able to witness riddling um, there's quite a few places actually I also um, experienced it if I'm not lying at Anthony J Rupert in Franschuk um, performed manually this operation is labor intensive which is why most champagne producers now have automated the process because literally to hand riddle imagine hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bottles once aging is complete the lease which is um, the sediment which is formed by the yeast have to be removed thereafter the scourging takes place the scourging consists of removing the lease by freezing them and when the bottle is open the ice cube is put is violently pushed out under the pressure built up inside. Dossage is that final touch where winemaker Alve lets us know exactly who he is. The dossage is that final touch that is added to the wine before the bottle's final corking. It entails adding a small amount of dossage liqueur. The dossage liqueur is also called the expedition liqueur and is usually cane sugar dissolved in wine between 500 to 750 grams per liters. And there you have it, that's how you make champagne. Don't do this at home. <laughs> Finally, labeling and finishing takes place. Once the expedition liqueur has been added, the bottles are immediately stoppered with a cork held in place by a mousselet. And after uh, another rest period in the cellars to give the expedition liqueur time to blend perfectly into the wine, the bottle is labeled and ready for sale. You get different dosages, as we explained with um, MCC. So you get from the sweetest, to the driest so you get from do to demi sick to sick to extra dry to brute to extra brute so extra brute is between zero and six grams of sugar per liter for content not exceeding three grams and if the wine contains no added sugar the terms brute nature non-dosage or dosage zero may be used at lanson this is the case for example of the lanson vintage collection and of the clo lanson there are many 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 rules of champagne and i'm gonna tell you <laughs> So there are no longer 30 than 35, no fewer than 35 rules that ensure champagne's quality. For instance, champagne must come exclusively from the region. Um, they also tell you about the height, spacing, density of the plantation of the vineyards, which um, the grape bunches must be harvested by hand, harvests are limited, the legal aging period is set to a minimum of 15 months with a minimum of three years for vintage years. 
European regulations only require a 90-day period for sparkling wines in comparison. At least 20% of the annual harvest must be held in reserve for future blends. Heck, check. So there are many, many, many things we're going to speak about, I guess, over the years. Because um, there are many things to know about champagne. Good thing I have my little black book. <laughs> so for vintage champagne, there are some particularly good years that give rise to vintage blends. Vintage champagnes are produced with grapes that are all from the same year and must be left to age for at least three years in their cellars. Lansing vintages are aged for at least five years and sometimes more. The House of Lansing has made the demanding choice to only produce vintage champagnes in years that are considered to be quite exceptional. The year is 1904, 1928, 1975, Every year, only a few magnum bottles from 1976 and subsequent vintages are offered to a limited circle of enthusiasts searching for new, analogical sensations. Gay Champagne. Then you have Rosé Champagne, which can be produced using only two methods, either the macerating of black grapes during the pressing process to bring out the pigmentation in the skins, which is called Rosé de Seigneur, or by blending in a small amount of red wine from the Champagne region to obtain a pinkish hint called the Rosé d'Assemblage. Lancer was one of the first houses to craft a blended Rosé Champagne, and today the house has more than 60 years of experience in Rosé Champagnes. The Rosé label is a delicate blend in keeping with the house's Lancer style, its fruitiness, elegance and freshness. If you're in South Africa, expect to spend um, roughly uh, 795 rand. Mm -hmm. It's not a lie. I also like... Mm, but it's worth it, the rosé label champagne. Then you get Blanc de Blanc, Blanc de Noir champagne. Uh, a single variety can be showcased by creating a sink, uh, Blanc de Blanc or Blanc de Noir champagne with a distinctive taste. For its 250th anniversary, the, the Lanson Champagne House crafted an emblematic vintage, the Lanson Extra Age Brut. It is so delicious. You taste like champagne. <laughs> Extra Age Blanc de Blanc is harmonious wine with grape finesse produced with 100% Chardonnay Grand Cru and Premier Cru blend. Then you get the Prestige Cuvée. The Lancer Nouvelle Cuvée is grafted using only a careful selection of Grand Cru grapes only. The Nouvelle Cuvée is the quintessence of the Lancer style. today. So there's many, many things that we're going to talk about in future. But um, I do want to say that um, I will never forget my tour of Champagne. Um, so, uh, Clos Lanson is Champagne Lanson's inner city vineyard in Rome. A Clos is a French vineyard that is enclosed by a wall. Clos Lanson is home to a Chardonnay vineyard, which is crucial for the production of some highly coveted Champagne. The first fermentation at, Clanson, at Champagne Lanson is on a ground level and not underground, interestingly enough. So a special hill was built and it's naturally tempered at 11 degrees Celsius with no vibrations from the street. Get science. And Champagne Lancer's 250 year old bottle maturation cellar, which is a sacred place and home to um, precious champagne as well as a unique history, as I said to you, as a wartime bomb shelter. It was the home and a place of refuge for many. So we tasted a couple of vintages. The first was um, Black Label non-vintage which is comprised of 32% Chardonnay, 15% Petit Meunier, 53% Pinot Noir. Um, we also tasted this alongside the Rosé label. 
expect to spend upwards of 595 that is 595 south african rant for the black label brute perfect if you're ever going to be at f1 ferrari or wimbledon this is as i said the perfect start the perfect serve um rosé label as i said is the number one selling um, label in the uk lanson vintage 2008 extra age was absolutely worth the wait uh lanson as i said was awarded a royal warrant since queen victoria's reign and is the official champagne to the monegasque principality um so our girl charlene princess charlene hsh her serene highness I don't know if I should be calling her our girl. Does she even know that I think we're friends? Probably not. She probably also enjoys <laughs> Lance and Extra Age Brute. So um, I've been telling everybody that the Champagne Lance and Noble Cuvée Brute 2002 with 70% Chardonnay and 30% Pinot Noir grapes from Grand Cru Vineyards is exceptional and absolutely fit for a queen. So if you ever go to Champagne, spend a day in Ram. You can start your day with a champagne tasting at Lanson, walk the historical town of Ram, consider what those poor people went through and how they took the time to rebuild. And after you do so, I hope you feel a little bit like Jay-Z and Beyonce <laughs> and promise that this is the mood forever. And My Kitchen is brought to you by My Kitchen Company SA. My Kitchen Company is a Johannesburg-based kitchen, bathroom, furniture and renovation business. They bring you everything in the kitchen sink. Visit them on Twitter at MyKitchenCoSA for more information. Welcome back to In My Kitchen. In this week's episode of Make It Pop, we begin with um, a little bit of fun, frivolity, fabulosity, but inspired by French and Parisian chic. And then we speak about the dish. So I have a little monologue that I prepared for you. <laughs> I am someone who is looking for love. Real love. Ridiculous. Inconvenient. Consuming. Can't live without each other love. And I don't think that love is here. It was very dramatic in the final season of Sex in the City when Carrie Bradshaw went to live with her boyfriend Mikhail Baryshnikov or Alexander Petrovsky um, in Paris. Um, according to another magazine, um, Patricia Field, the show's costume designer referenced Christian Dior's new look silhouette rather than the casual, relaxed attitude of Coco Chanel. So these days, a lot of French women um, do the fresh, no makeup thing. But to Carrie Bradshaw, France is a very romantic place, as it was to me, I think, which is why I overdid the fashion. So in this week's episode of Make It Pop, I want to kind of reference um, Emily in Paris a little bit, the new Netflix show that um, has got the girls all a tizzy. <laughs> and just parallel it with Carrie Bradshaw's style. So, you know, we did speak about Coco Chanel a little bit in um, I'll Bring the Wine, where she said that she only drinks champagne on exactly two occasions, <laughs> when she's in love and when she's not. So I found a fabulous article on um, AustralianL.com where they rank Emily in Paris um, best and worst looks. So I think Emily um, 
if you know the story a little bit, she also escapes to Paris for um, career aspirations, or she takes her American girl style to Paris and tries to reference, I think, a little bit of the French style. Um, I think a lot of Carrie Bradshaw things happen, in particular, um, one of the, well, the number one look according to this um, OWL ranking um, is the black dress at the ballet moment where, um, according to the writers, she gave a little bit of an Audrey Hepburn and funny girl fever. She gave a little bit of that Blair Waldorf. She gave a little bit of that Audrey Hepburn. She gave a little bit of that Emily. <laughs> to me, she gave a lot of the Carrie Bradshaw because she's wearing a Christian Syrian on her dress um, with that little corseted style, the big skirt, the very, very super high heels. Um, she does look gorgeous. She she does. Um, there are a lot of moments where she wears Kenzo, um, who sadly passed away, the fabulous French Japanese designer. For instance, there's a moment where she's wearing a pink Kenzo coat uh, with a Chanel handbag, um, and she's in front of a bunch of roses. Um, La Vie and Rose is the mood. <laughs> then she takes a little bit of that American girl style where she wears Marc Jacobs and Versace, but one of the best looks as well is where she wears fuchsia head to toe, um, literally down to the socks. <laughs> I love Emily. But my absolute favorite is the Pierre Cadalt moment um, where they reference, apparently, according to the writers, the Victor and Rolf um, look because it's a beautiful white little white dress as opposed to a little black dress with stunning strappy heels. So it's a sculptural couture gown that is actually by Stefan Roland. And um, it's not really an Emily look, but to me it is like the epitome of style, especially when they did say Victor and Rolf. It does look like French or Couture Fashion Week. She looks incroyable. Hmm, did I say it right? <laughs> I love Emily's style, you know, to me, I also did that ridiculous thing when I went to France, um, where I, I tried to do a different look every day, uh, there were days when I tried to do like sachet pants, deep in South African, with like my um, mission, my friend Michelle had a fashion label that I'm praying she revives, I wore the little um, gilet, the little white faux faux gilet with the sachet pants, it was a look, but for my day in Champagne, um, I wore a little white dress, uh, a la Emily <laughs> and also a la Carrie Bradshaw uh, with polka dots because I wanted the look of bubbles because <laughs> it was literal <laughs> champagne <laughs> my visit to Ram was a literal day in champagne with a big bow in the neck um, sort of like Nicole Kidman's Oscar moment I think that's one thing I love about France um, is you do maybe have so many tourists walking around trying to look chic we actually went during fashion week funny or not um, and when we were at the Louvre we could see um, particularly in the centre of Paris, them setting up the tents. I mean, I think one of the things about COVID and the pandemic is there's some things that I think it's, it's going to be really funny in like five or six years when you're trying to explain. No, they're like hordes of people <laughs> all in the same place. And people are like, what? That's shocking. But it was really fabulous to see all these tall, skinny, gorgeous models and particularly around the centre of Pompidou, um, all these beautiful, naturally beautiful people who didn't have to do the ridiculous things that we were doing that we thought were stylish. But I love my little white dress. I love my little Emily moment. Um, there are a lot of looks that they reference in this article. Um, there's, for instance, a houndstooth jacket that Emily wears. 
one of my favorite looks is her um her running outfit where she wears a crochet top and tights very american um she also does the i think the tibby boots with the split toe which is really strange but the girls are loving it and i think i have to get used to it she also wears a literal beret <laughs> a la coco chanel um it's a houndstooth beret um and the writer jokes that um, you should always take one thing off when you leave the house. I wouldn't actually get rid of the beret. I think that it's it's a TV character. And she also gives the energy. I mean, we're stuck in our houses. If we're going to travel, we're traveling via Emily. She's, she's given the girls Instagrammable looks. So the lace Chanel crop top that she goes jogging in um, is, is a sign that this is a fictional character. But we love Emily. She gave us entertainment. So there's exactly 30 looks. I'm going to post it to my Twitter page if you're interested in this sort of thing, in this sort of frivolity. But it's, it's absolutely charming. I absolutely love um, the character of Emily. And I love the city of Paris. Uh, I also love the idea of, of referencing Audrey Hepburn. Because Paris is absolutely always a good idea. Welcome back to my kitchen in this week's episode of make it pop i want to share a gorgeous book by the poet maggie smith maggie smith's poem went viral in 2016 here is the poem life is short though i keep this from my children life is short and i've shortened mine in a thousand delicious ill-advised ways a thousand deliciously ill-advised ways i'll keep this for my children the world's at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate. Though I keep this for my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you. Though I keep this for my children, I am trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor walking you through a real shithole chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. So, when Washington Post, Slate and PRI featured this article or this poem called The Good Bones, the poem was called The Official Poem of 2016. So a lot of people remember 2016, I will personally, as a very bad year where bad thing after bad thing kept happening. And shortly after this flurry of attention, Maggie Smith's marriage fell apart. Near the end of 2018, as she told uh, Slate writer Dan Coy, or Coyce, um, she started posting daily encouragements and affirmations on Twitter. For example, today's goal, stop rewinding and replaying the past. Live here now. Give the present the gift of your full attention. And she ended that tweet with the same two words that ended all the tweets. Clearly a message to herself as well as to her then 16,000 followers. Keep moving. And now in 2020, a very difficult year for many. Um, her domestial, commercial debut has come out, which is a collection not of poems, but a quirky quasi-memoir called Keep Moving, where she intersperses those affirming tweets with her personal reflections on the hardest days in her life and it features blurs from inspirational blogger Gwen Doyle as well as the singer Amanda Palmer. 
So four years after that gorgeous poem, The Good Bones went viral in the midst of an even more tragic moment in history. This book, according to the writer, feels like a clear bid to transform Maggie Smith from a famous, yeah, as famous as poets can be, poem into the guru of literary self-help. And so she tells a story about how, you know, she just tried to balance being a mom and having her children with her um, in Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio. And how, I guess, she had to just keep moving. So in the book, she also writes about being a fearful child, weary of surprises. She tells the writer about that excerpt and she says, I thought of change as some interruption in my life, veering off course. So she also says to him as they were sitting on a bench near a fountain of her childhood, needing to know what was going to happen next was a big thing for me. So you can see why I think this book will be relatable for a lot of people in 2020. Can't wait to get my hands on Keep Moving by the viral The Good Bones poet Maggie Smith. Thank you for staying with me. In this week's episode of The Dish, I want to share something incredible with you. Um, it's not ironic and it's not bizarre, but it's a very real problem. Um, one of our greatest challenges is climate change. Um, and so I want to encourage you to hashtag follow the bird, <laughs> follow the sugar bird. So the Biodiversity and Wine Initiative actively works towards demonstrating a fine balance between nature and farming. Cape sugar birds are endemic to the Cape Floral Kingdom. They feed mostly on the nectar of flowering proteas pollinating on these indigenous flowers. As proteas become restricted due to habitat loss, the sugar bird's existence is also affected. So this synergistic symbiotic relationship illustrates the synergy between wine and conservation, which is why um, the WDFWF, the World Wildlife South Africa, has um, started working with hashtag conservation champions. As 95% of South Africa's wine is produced in the Cape Winelands, Vines and other crops compete for space with the Cape's unique vegetation. The WWF's conservation champions use their sugarbird and protea logo on their products to demonstrate their dedication to the conservation of the Cape's floral diversity. Biodiversity, I beg your pardon. The Cape is home to over 95,000 plant species, 70% of which are endemic to the region and occur nowhere else on the earth. So you can explore nature at its finest while visiting your favorite wine farm by cycling, walking, or enjoying a seasonal wine menu. To follow the sugar bird, you should follow the hashtag conservation champions, hashtag nature and wines, and follow the hashtag follow the sugar bird. Some of the cool activities that I thought were pretty cool, um, for example, at Almancat, you can hike. At Bartney Wines in Stellenbosch, they have a, a cycling trail. They also have overnight accommodation you can go out and look for wildlife. Boschendal and Franschuk is amazing. There's a restaurant. It's kid-friendly. You can also stay overnight at the farm. Bouchard Finlayson and Hermanus. Oh, we had the most gorgeous um, nature hike a few years ago. I can't wait to tell this story. <laughs> I'm still, it's still a personal story, but one day when I tell you, you can walk through um, with Frank um, all by yourself and look at the incredible flora and fauna. It's just incredible to look at the, the rich heritage that that area has um cedarburg um on the cape west coast you can also hike there's also overnight accommodation dalheim the vetsoft ekenhof wines literally everywhere you know if you're in robertson go to graham beck wines um 
you can go to Habriel's Cliff if you're all the way on the other side. You can go to Hamilton's Russell Vineyards for a hike. You can go to Plain Constantia, enjoy a lovely meal. You can go to Lamotte, have a walk and a meal. You can go to Lawrence Fen Estate. Oh, where you might even be able to spot the Cape Leopard if you're very, very, very lucky. You can go to Plage de Mille in Franchoke where they also have overnight accommodation. You can go to Spear. My mom and I had the most amazing nature hike at Spear. Like we stayed overnight a few years ago um, to experience also a seasonal menu. It was an amazing, they have very sustainable um, farming practice with Farmer Angus where they literally, you know, they use every part of the cow we saw. We saw. (laughs) And the chef is directly works with the farmer to make sure that the menu um, is as sustainable as possible uh, even you know the eggs everything everything so we woke up my mom and I we had the gorgeous hike in Stellenbosch we walked through the vineyards and then um, up through the felt where um, the sun was shining it was a stunning morning uh, and they have overnight accommodation so it's a very 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 cool and I recommend that if you and your mom also need a girls getaway were you in someone romantic I don't know you can go to Fergelegen, where they also have, you know, some of the oldest trees in the country. You can go to Wildekrantz. There are countless examples of really cool things you can do. So, um, if you didn't know, now you know that the Cape Sugarbirds only occur in the Cape Floral Kingdom. And them feeding off of the national flower, the Protea, plays a crucial role in pollinate pollinating these indigenous flowers and as proteas become restricted due to habitat loss it also affects the sugarbirds existence so we want to encourage you to hashtag follow the sugarbird thank you for staying with me during this week's episode of in my kitchen (laughs) i hope you had a lovely time as i did with you if you ever have a cool dish that you want to pair with champagne let me know um i really enjoyed this week's episode of um, I'll bring the wine. I know that if you go to DW11 to 13, you might be able to ask Martinez to make you something cool. He did an amazing menu with Graham Beck, which is of course an MCC, but they did feature um, one or two champagnes on their menu. I didn't realize um, how delicious um, and diverse the pairing options are. I mean, it's obviously quite obvious because champagne is one of the most versatile wines. Um, being high acid and with that effervescence it cuts through a lot of fat it obviously goes really well um, with that cape malay curry dish that they have it also goes really well um, with the truffle dish that they have at dw 11 to 13 in down cold west also goes really well um, with their delicious meringue dessert because it plays up the citrus character that mango character so definitely pair champagne and wine and after you're done pairing champagne and wine read a good book or good poem like the the good bones and then you can go to Paris look amazing like Carrie Bradshaw or Emily and then you can come back to the Cape and hashtag follow the sugar bird have a wonderful week stay safe I love you so much